if you have somebody who is sick, keep your own emotions aside. Consider what that person is going through. It doesn't matter how you feel about them. It could be you. Even like, just treat people the way you want to be treated. Again, if you don't know how, ask for help. Ask somebody who has been through that route, who has made it or not made it. Ask them, how did you help this person when they were going through this? I don't know how. Or you tell the person who was sick, if you're a caretaker, hey, Anya, I don't know how to help you. How can I help you? Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Living African. Today we will be talking about breast cancer and that will be in honor of the Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is October. And I really hope that this topic will inspire and shed more light on so many issues that we have with non-communicable diseases in our community, which includes breast cancer or just cancer as a whole. So I will be giving you a quick intro and also stating a couple of facts, which I would really like for you to take note of. So according to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, breast cancer is the most common cancer in women overall. In 2020, more than 2.3 million women were diagnosed with breast cancer worldwide and 650,000 women died. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women both in the developed and less developed world. In 2012, it represented about 12% of all new cancer cases and 25% of all cancers in women. And since 2008, worldwide breast cancer incidence has increased by more than 20% and the death rate or mortality has increased by 14%. Now breast cancer is most commonly presents as a painless lump or thickening in the breast. It is important that women finding an abnormal lump in the breast consult a health practitioner without a delay of more than one to two months even when there is no pain associated with it. According to the World Health Organization, approximately half of breast cancers develop in women who have no identifiable breast cancer risk factor other than gender, which is basically a female gender, and age over 40 years. 
Nonetheless, certain factors increase the risk of breast cancer include increasing age, obesity, harmful use of alcohol, family history of breast cancer, history of radiation exposure, reproductive history such as the age that the woman's menstrual period began and the age at first pregnancy, tobacco use that is smoking, and postmenopausal hormone therapy. A family history of breast cancer increases the risk of breast cancer, obviously, but the majority of women diagnosed with breast cancer do not know or don't have a known family history of the disease. Though lack of a known family history does not necessarily mean that a woman is at reduced risk. Breast cancer treatment can highly be effective achieving survival probabilities of about 90% or higher, particularly when the disease is identified earlier, which basically highlights the need to be checked as early as possible. Survival of breast cancer for at least five years after diagnosis ranges for, from more than 90% in high-income countries to 66% in India and 40% in South Africa. Early detection and treatment has proven successful in high-income countries and should be applied in countries with limited resources where some of the standard tools are available. So today we will be speaking with a breast cancer survivor who will be here to tell her story. Gwendolyn Gu is a dear friend and probably one of the strongest people I know. I am super honored to use my platform to share her story and I hope that she inspires you the same way she has done me all this while. So I just want to welcome you, Gwen. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. And you? I am doing wonderful. I am super, super honored to have you on this platform to share your story, especially with those who may not know you or know what you've been through. I would really like for us to dive deep immediately into your story uh, because I know you are very, very active on social media, which, you know, I totally adore. You have like the best photos. You, you know, I remember the first time I told you the first time I ever saw you, I was like, oh, my goodness, this girl is so beautiful. She's so positive. I just could not get over your beauty and you know, just the way you carried yourself. And then when I got to know your story, I was super, super amazed at just your strength, you know. So I really look forward to having my audience share in that strength with you and just get to know your story. So just tell us about your story with breast cancer and how you even came to discover that you had breast cancer. Great. I am glad to be able to share that story with you and your audience. I mean, like you again <laughs> <laughs> and your audience. First of all, I am Gwendolyn Good. Like you said, I am a mom. I am a warrior, a survivor. Yes. And more. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I was 27 when I got diagnosed. I remember I was taking a shower one day and uh, I felt a lump on my let me think. I always forget which side. Mm-hmm. I think the left side mm-hmm. of my breast, my left breast. And like you said in the intro, most people diagnosed with breast cancer really don't have a family history. Right. And yes, you're of a higher risk if you have somebody in your family, say mom, sister, who 
have been diagnosed. But for me, I grew up knowing nobody who had ever been diagnosed with cancer in general, talk less of breast cancer in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was not even in that range, which is considered to be high risk. Yeah. So when I did find a lump in my breast, I decided to make an appointment with my primary care doctor, mm-hmm. of which I went there and I told him I found a lump in my breast. And behold, he brushed it out. He told me, well, he checked other things, but he didn't even check that. So he said, most times during your period, period your cycle, yeah. cycle, you could have lumps. Most women do have lumps that do disappear. I actually left his office, went out, and then I said, no, this is not right. I came mm-hmm. back and I said, you didn't even check it out. Mm-hmm. He said, well, it insists. He called his assistant, which was a girl, and came in, and he actually checked it and said, hmm, I don't think it's just one. I feel more than one. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. And he's like, but I don't think it's anything. But if you still want to check it out, we could send you for a sonogram. I said, of course, I would on a sonogram. Right. So he gave me a referral to go do a sonogram, which then I was doing night shifts. I went to work that night and I was like, no, no. First, I went to work that night. The next day I did go for the sonogram and they told me it's going to take a week for the doctor to have the results. And in my mind, I'm, I was asking them, why should it take a whole week for a doctor to have my results? Like, it's a sonogram. You already yeah. have it here. Why don't you just email it or fax it or something to him? Mm-hmm. So I thought they were not being uh, proactive enough. So I went to work again the next night. The next morning, I decided to go to, to the emergency room. So I went to the emergency room, and I told the doctor there I feel this lump, and it is so painful. In my mind, telling them it's painful would mean they would yeah. have to do something now. Yeah. So I, I take pictures of everything. So I still have pictures of when I went there, and I took pictures. I was in the ER, and the doctor prescribed me naproxen for the mm. pain. And asked me to go home, mm. <laughs> right? And on my way out of the hospital, um, he said, oh, well, if you want to stay, we can check if radiology has a space and so you can do a sonogram mm-hmm. if you want. I was like, oh, I'll stay. I'll see. So they call radiology and they had no openings that morning. They only had it in the afternoon, which was still not sure. So I told them, I'll wait mm-hmm. until they have that opening. So I remember sleeping on the bench at the hospital there waiting for them to have a spot for me to do that test. I still remember that doctor's name, the radiology doctor. She came in, she was pregnant, and she said, you know what, I'll do the sonogram, but I don't think it's anything. I said, okay. She did the sonogram, and she said, oh, I have done this so many times, and I don't think it's anything from what I see. Right. By the way, you're young. It can be anything. So... She said, okay, so you can go home. But I think she saw how worried I still looked, even her convincing me it's nothing. She said, well, if you want to stay, we can see if we have a spot to do you, to do a biopsy. I was like, okay, I'll wait. So I waited again for maybe an hour or so, and they found a spot, and they did a, a biopsy. And I went home. Right. Then I was in school and all of that and work and all that carried away. Nobody ever called me for a whole month. Nobody called me. And coincidentally, even the my primary care doctor never called me for my results. 
for the sonogram. I never bothered following up either. So I kept up in my everyday life. And like we say, no news is good news, right? Right. If nobody called you, then it's good. But this is what happened. Because the hospital, I didn't have a primary care doctor there. The results were sitting on somebody's back. Nobody to call. Who was going to call? Nobody. So one day... um, I was driving back from school and the doctor called me, the radiology doctor, and she said she want to apologize for giving me all the hopes. She knew she told me it wasn't going to be anything, but she's sorry. It is cancerous. And to me, that was a dream. What's she talking about? It can't be me, right? These are just things that I read in books. It didn't even dawn on me until I got to my destination and I was like, wait, did she say that? And then I started having all this multiple calls from the breast clinic and all that. And that's when it really sank in. Yeah. Wow. Um, that is that is definitely not a good story <laughs> or a good news to hear, mm-hmm. especially considering, you know, your worry and the negligence from their part and stuff like that. But I just want to applaud you even for, you know, sharing your story and for your strength as well. And so when when they told you that it was cancerous, like what actually was going through your mind? Like, I mean, what was that first? I would imagine that you would never forget that feeling that you had. And, you know, I think I was numb because, like I said, it's not me she's talking to. Like, she's not right. talking about me, right? I was right. driving when she called me. I can't remember feeling anything. To me, it's not me. Yeah. But when I actually went to my destination and then it only really sunk in when I started getting all these calls from the hospital, mm-hmm. like immediately the breast clinic is calling, the oncologist clinic is calling and like, okay, we need you to come back. But to me, I didn't understand. I, did, I, I, didn't, I didn't process it. it. It was not sinking. I had to that same day, go back to the hospital to see the doctor, to really sit down face to face with her and like, wait, actually, did you just say this? Wow. Yeah. So how, like, what were the next steps that you took after that? Like after that diagnosis? After the diagnosis, I remember doing a couple of more tests. They did another biopsy. They did a mammogram. Then being young at that point, after me accepting that, okay, this is what it is. My mind frame was, I just want to start treatment. Mm-hmm. I just want to start, like, where are we starting? I want to get this over with. But it is, it's not that easy. Right. There's so many things, especially when you're young and diagnosed with breast cancer. There are so many things that doctors want to put in place to make sure that the treatment is going to be safe for you at the end, too. For instance, they, um, I had all the options which they had given me. You have to see a gynecologist or fertility clinics to make sure. Yeah. Like for me, I had the option to harvest your eggs. If we take chemotherapy because sometimes the chemo destroys the female reproductive system. So they would want you to... Depends on your doctor. That's what my doctor had wanted me to. And going through the fertility process to harvest your eggs and all of that, it takes another weeks, yeah, if not months. Yeah, you have to be on medication for those eggs to be. Well, I was like, wait, all of this. I'm fighting to be alive. I have two kids. Mm-hmm. Just get it over with. Mm-hmm. You know, they have all the things that they want you to go through just to make sure life after treatment 
it's not difficult, which now I understand. But then I was like, I don't care what you're talking about. I just want to get this over with. So my treatment plan had to be made, which was I had to do six rounds of chemotherapy and no radiation. I didn't have radiation. Six rounds of chemotherapy, a double mastectomy. That's what I did have. Wow. Um, thank you very much for sharing that. We're going to go more into that um, later. Now, talking about the mammogram, what was your experience with the mammogram? I'm glad I don't have to do it again ever mm. <laughs> because I don't have real breasts to do it anyway. So right. it's uncomfortable. That's the truth, right? And I think that's why so many people shy away from doing their mammograms mm. because it's it's really uncomfortable for the that machine to just pressed on your boobs and take those pictures it is uncomfortable that was my experience i I did it once and that's what i can remember so many people shy away from it because of that feeling of being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. it's something that's a must it's not even a question people have option it's like mandatory yeah it's not even issue you have to do it and so when they um completed the diagnosis the diagnostic process and from all the tests what type of breast cancer did you have um, and what is the general prognosis from it because I know that there are a lot of breast cancers I mean breast cancer doesn't just fall under one category so what kind of breast cancer specific breast cancer did you have yeah just like just like you said there's so many different kinds of breast cancers. So after doing the, it was a lot of diagnosis I, I had to go through for them or test. I was diagnosed with HER2 positive breast cancer. That is the the tumor fits on hormones, both estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. So it's called the HER2 positive breast cancer. There's so many not so many, a few other kinds of breast cancers. So then I had no knowledge about, I knew breast cancer was breast cancer. Right. I didn't think it was going to be, which some are very aggressive mm-hmm. than others. Mm-hmm. Then I got to know because my doctors were like, well, I think they were just trying to console me. Mm-hmm. At least you don't have this other kind because if you were, <laughs> so, but listen, Cancer is cancer, but they only have to differentiate these other kinds of cancer because depending on what kind of breast cancer you have, that's the kind of treatment they're going to focus on. Right. Somebody can be triple negative and taking this treatment with somebody who is going to work. And I think that's one thing I, me talking and mentoring so many people going through breast cancer in Cameroon in particular. That's a very big challenge because most people don't even know that there are different kinds of cancer and they're going through it and they don't right. even know what kind of cancer they have. Right. What kind of, because I asked them, what kind of breast cancer do you have? Are you going to be going through hormonal treatment after this? Or are you, and they, they don't know. So I really wonder if our medical professionals in Cameroon are just giving the same. I do really wonder if we're right. getting the same kind of chemo for everybody or I, I don't know. I'm hoping not. Because yeah, because it may not be as effective. Yes. Right. So prior yes. to even this diagnosis, what actually uh, did you think about breast cancer? Like how aware of, uh, of breast cancer were you? The only thing that had helped me is I had done a research in school mm-hmm. for breast cancer. And now I just think there were so many things that had happened that God had prepared me, was preparing me for the journey, right? Mm-hmm. Out of everything, I had picked pick breast cancer to write on this 
uh, this uh, research paper. So from that research paper, I've learned a lot about breast cancer, but mm-hmm. I still knew nothing about it. I also, when I was in school, I had met this doctor. I had gone for a rotation. He was in the OR, and I had met this doctor, and he was doing a surgery, which he made me join him, mm-hmm. and we did the surgery together. He actually showed me through the whole process. But like in the intro, you mentioned that depending on gender, we should check for breast cancer. Right. And I, this is always my thing. I tell everybody, no, men have breast cancer. Oh yeah, too. men have breast cancers as well. That's very, very yeah. true. So this person we were doing this surgery on, he was a man and he had breast, breast cancer. cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had really seen how the whole process was being done, what they do in the OR. I had helped this doctor suture this patient and all that. And then when I finally actually had a referral for my surgeon it was the same doctor so at least I knew what I was getting into right right <laughs> that's true it was either good or bad yeah. so that was my only two experiences or yeah exposures to to breast cancer that's very interesting two things you had mentioned based on you know your research I just want to give the audience perspective so you're a nurse right Mm-hmm. And um, I believe at that time you were in nursing school. Yeah. And also, I mean, originally you were from Cameroon, the country of Cameroon in Central or West Africa, depending on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, you had no history of breast cancer in your family, no family history, basically. And, mm-hmm. you know, no risk factors. You were healthy, strong, nothing. You don't smoke mm-hmm. You don't do any of the things that will increase your risk of getting breast cancer. So like I had mentioned, a majority of women who even have breast cancer, they actually have no risk factors or family history. You know, that's why it's very important for us to really not take it for granted because breast cancer, like I had mentioned again, is the second most common type of cancer, especially Mm -hmm. in women. You know, so we have to really make sure that we're being very vigilant and observative of our bodies in general. Now, another thing you mentioned again was about men having cancer. I was going to mention that down in our conversation, but I'm glad you brought it up right now. And yes, Mm -hmm. uh, there's this ideology in our in our community, especially in our African community, that just because men don't have big breasts, men have breasts. Everybody has every human being has breasts, you know, if if. If a man stands in front of the mirror and someone tells them, point to your breast, they're going to point to their chest, right? The breast, they have breasts, they have nipples. Everybody Mm -hmm. has. It's just that women have bigger breasts Mm -hmm. because we have the reproductive, it's part of our reproductive glands. And we have that, you know, to to accommodate the secretion of milk, you know, when we actually have kids. But men also have breasts and men also have breast cancer. So Mm -hmm. in the intro, when I was talking about, you know, just checking for lumps and stuff, men could also develop those lumps. So it's very important for um, men as well to check for Mm -hmm. those lumps because um, I I, I believe that the issue with men, the breast cancer in men, even though it's not as common as in women, is that by the time they discover it, sometimes it could even be too late because they, they don't think that, you know, they can have it you know so it's just something that i just wanted to throw out there this may be a 
you know, <laughs> breaking news for some men, but mm -hmm. men actually have breast cancer mm -hmm. as well. Now let's talk about the treatment process. I know that you've already spoken about, you know, the things that you had, you were expected to do before starting a chemotherapy. So I would like to conclude from bas basically from what you said that, you know, like you literally did not really care about any of those other formalities, especially considering your age. You just wanted to go straight into treatment, correct? Right. Okay. So basically starting treatment and everything, can you walk us through like the chemotherapy process and your experience and how that in and of itself affected your quality of life? If you have ever seen somebody going through treatment or chemotherapy, then you would know what I'm talking about. Even if you see my pictures during that time and me now two different people, right? Hmm. Chemotherapy is very, 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 very tedious and difficult. Like this thing actually burns out all your cells hmm. and then your body has to rebuild your cells, which makes sense, right? Chem um, tumors, a collection of cells. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Chemotherapy is very, very difficult. I did um, go through six rounds of chemo. I think that was every three weeks, if I'm not mistaken. And after taking the first treatment, I fell sick, really sick. I got admitted in the hospital. Before I could even take the second treatment, my hair was all gone. My fingernails were all gone. Well, at least like a few of my fingernails actually came off. Yeah, my actually my right toe is still yeah. actually renowned. Yeah, struggling to survive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So chemo is, chemotherapy is very difficult. No matter how much I tell you right now, you still not grasp it. Yeah. You're not going to do it or watch somebody go through it. Yeah. Wow. I would it imagine is a very it, mm -hmm. tough uh, process to go through. And um, I would imagine it, it definitely, you know, took a toll on your body as a whole. And also, you know, even your schedule, did you have to like not go to work anymore um, like how did it even affect, I mean, back then you were a mother to two kids who were less than 10 years old, you know, I mean, they probably did not even understand what was going on with mommy, you know? So, I mean, how did that affect your quality of life? And back then I was in school and I had the kid. It was, it was tough. Actually, after I got diagnosed, I had to make arrangements with school. Actually, my school asked me to actually drop out mm -hmm. and come back after treatment because, of course, they understand going through chemo is not a joke. It's not easy. They, yeah. can, they, they can't expect you to be in class every day at 7 o'clock and all of that. Mm -hmm. So they asked me to drop out, of which I had stood my ground, and I said, nope, I am not dropping out. It was very hard, and uh, at some point, I had to. I had to. I had to drop out and work. No, I had to stop working, too, at some point. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, I became sick. I cannot show up to work every day right. because I was weak, throwing up all the time, having a running stomach. And it's just the side effects are just too many that my day-to-day -day activity had to just go with how you get up in the morning and how you're how feeling, you, you feel. take it from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And how did that affect your physical, emotional, and mental health? Hmm. That's always something when I think about, I'm like, is it that I've decided to just forget about the bad days and just focus on the positive side of life? Mm -hmm. I actually 
my friends say I have a selective memory. That could of be course, a coping it, mechanism. <laughs> it, it is my coping mechanism. I'm telling you that has helped me cope with a lot of things in life, mm-hmm. and that especially going through cancer. Right, Daniel. What was your question again? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I do this, right? And right. honestly, I forget. And then right. I blame them. I yeah. blame it at the chemo. If you ever heard it, people go through chemo brain. Yeah. Where you do forget a lot of things. And I'm like, I forgot it's chemo until now. This is six years after. Right. One of my friends. <laughs> I'm like, why? Right, and right. Yes, now I just lost track of the question you asked. Yeah. So I was yeah. saying, how, how did this entire experience, especially with chemotherapy, affect your physical, emotional, and mental health? Physically, of course. I lost a whole lot of, of weight, but I wasn't big anyways. But you could tell yeah. I'm pale. Like right? you're going through something, yeah. Yes. Physically, like I said, I was just going with the flow. It's not like I could do everything that I used to do mm-hmm. before treatment. And the whole thing really takes a whole ton on your emotional state. You know, I, I, I now remember that, of course, I was thinking of times, I was thinking at times that what if I don't make it? What happens? But I'm glad that most of the time I knew that I was going to make it. I was not saying that I knew that I was going to make it because I really know that I was going to make it. It's just because my force was to fight yes. to make it. So my whole mind frame was like, I'm going to make it. But I remember questions that I had asked then that now I'm like, oh, I was just feeling defeated, right? Mm-hmm. Like then I would ask my ex-husband, if I die, what are you going to tell my kids when they grow up? Like, who was their mom? Mm-hmm. Like, what would your mom want of them, right? So I did have moments that I I thought about it. I might not make it. Mm. I'm not special. So many people have not made it, right? Mm. So, and then it also plays, this is the thing about cancer, right? I always say the people that really even suffer when someone gets diagnosed, it's not that patient. Most of the time it's the people around them. Mm. They suffer the I would not say the most because they're not going through that pain, but emotionally, the people around you suffer the most. They don't know how to handle it. Yeah. They don't know how, how to help you. Yeah. They're thinking. They're helpless. Even because I, one could be dying. I could have been really looking like I'm dying, but I'm not saying it. But somebody else, somebody who, who's by me or who's close to me would be like, this person is really dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always say it's the people around you that get hit even the most than you, the person who was going through it. I remember once my, my daughter had said, oh, when I grew up, I don't want to have breasts. Yeah. When I was going through that. And my sister had asked her why. She's like, because I don't want to have breast cancer. Aww. So she was, she was seeing me suffer and she didn't want to go through that as young as she was. Yeah, so it did play emotionally, not just on me, but the people around me. Yeah. What about mentally? Mentally, for me or for them? For you. (laughs) For me. Oh, my whole perspective of life definitely changed. I think there's so many things that, for instance, would have bothered me then. But after that, I don't think they'll bother me now. Um. I think I told you this the other day that I was reading this book and it said, you only truly live life after you've mastered the act of dying. Yes. 
after thinking that I have gotten to that place where I could die and I then did not die, that makes me want to live life on another level. At least that's me now. Because even with treatment, you have actually not survived. We just never survive because like in your intro, the chances of cancer coming back, it's way so high, 60% in the first five years. That's that's a high percentage. So even after treatment, every day you wake up in the morning, you can only pray that you're not going back to your oncologist and they tell you that, oh, hey, I'm sorry, the cancer came back. Even going through all the treatments, cancer, uh, uh, chemotherapy, mastectomy, whatever, radiation, it could still come back the next day after telling you you're clear. Right. So mentally, it does play a role in every decision more than the now that I I made. Sometimes I would want to make a decision and I'm like, why am I even doing this? What if I get sick? Right. Yeah. So it definitely does play a big role in everything around me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, going through such a tough time in your life, you know, life still continues, right? Life still Mm -hmm. happens. And I would definitely imagine, I mean, we've had this conversation a lot of times, depending on how comfortable you are sharing it with the guests. But I would imagine, you know, or not even imagine, I know that, you know, life still happened. Things still happen to you behind the scenes. Like you were not exempt from life happening because you were going through chemotherapy or you were going through an ordeal with cancer. So um, can you share with us the other things that happened to you in this time and how you try, like how you manage them? I know, I mean, with your son who also was diagnosed with cancer, I know for sure that, you know, we're going to talk about that in an entirely new episode. Um, but can you just highlight your strength throughout these trials and tribulations that you experienced during your cancer? I know that during the cancer experience, I know that you have a selective memory. <laughs> but I would plead with you to dig deep into this you know, this experiences or this events, because um, this could literally empower a lot of women who are going through stuff because so many of us, I mean, we, we go through life, life happens unexpectedly, things happen, you know, regardless of what else you have going on. And yeah. some people can be facing or experiencing cancer at this point, and then things just get worse and worse, and other like things in terms of like other things that are going on in their lives just get worse, and they feel like they just cannot handle it. But to see you being a survivor of not only cancer but a survivor of life and your circumstances that you went through, it is extremely empowering, even for women who have not even been through half of what you've been through, and it gives a lot of people hope to know that you know. They can keep pushing. They can keep moving forward and everything will work out, you know. So um, can you just share with us some of the things that happened, you know, to you during this very tough moment in your life? Uh, I had a whole two-year process going through challenges a lot. Of so many things, but I always say, looking at it right now, again, in those two difficult years, I had so much blessings too. Mm. Um, like after I got diagnosed, I, w- I actually had to drop out of school mm-hmm. because of the diagnosis. 
but God being so kind, I was called back and I still had, I still passed my exams in that process. I went through a lot of disappointment with some people that I really thought were supposed to be there in a certain way during that process that were not there. Again, like I said, sometimes people around you would just not know how to help you. Mm-hmm. And we all have expectations, yeah. right? In that process, even before I finished my treatment, because after chemo, I did have mono treatments for a whole year, mm-hmm. which was still going in every three weeks for, I had a port, which that's how, through the that's a process I had my medications. During that time, um, my son got diagnosed with a brain tumor. That was another journey. Like it was just on, I was not even done with treatment. Then he got diagnosed. A few months later, I had a, I went through a divorce. And I think after the divorce, three months later, Corey died. And it was just like, Corey is my son. It was just like on and on and on something happening, right? I even had situations where people would tell me, somebody had told me this. That is because of my sins, and that's why my goodness. I am. Yeah, like people will say the weirdest things. What? And these are people that would do, like, you're expecting better from them. Yeah. Yeah, and such things, no matter how selective my brain is. You don't forget. <laughs> some, things, some things you cannot forget. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of things that happened, trials. That now I look at them and I'm like, truly they built you to be who you you are, your trials. That's really built me to who I am, right? I learned a lot in the process, but sometimes my friends say you're giving people excuses. But no, I, I just say, you know what, sometimes people just don't know how well to to behave or to help in situations. Right. But yeah. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, having a child go through cancer or just having a sick child is every parent's worst nightmare. Yes. Right? And then going through such a heavy disease on the child, you know, especially from a perspective of a cancer patient who understands the toll that chemotherapy took on you, your adult body. And I believe, how old was Corey? He was about, like, is it five? Corey was five. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine a five-year-old going through that ordeal and brain cancer actually has a even lower prognosis or survival rate than breast cancer. So from a cancer cancer patient's perspective, having, and also from a parent's perspective, it's like, you know what the chemotherapy could do to the body. And then you're also a healthcare professional. And at the same time, a patient, you know, that's like a triple, a triple shot, basically, to your heart. Um, I can imagine just knowing and understanding what this child is about to face. But then again, feeling helpless that you can't take away what the child will be experiencing. That's part yeah. of life, right? That life, that's life that happens. I can only imagine like, you know, taking away the fact that you were even going through your own chemotherapy and everything, just any normal patient will be, any normal parent, sorry, will be so devastated 
to even hear that their child is diagnosed with cancer. And then at the same time, the same people that, you know, your unit, your family was breaking apart. That was like your unit. That was like your foundation. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine what you went through. I mean, there's, there, you you talk about like, sorry. No, I'm agreeing with you that it was definitely a lot. And still in that process, I think I was fighting custody for the other child and it was a lot going on at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you, 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 I feel like your life is a miracle (laughs) because to have even survived that as a Mm -hmm. patient, you know, stress is one of the things that really affects our immune system, Uh you know? And, you know, based on my, I would say my practice or experience, my professional experience, you know, your immune system has to be top notch when going through things like chemotherapy and stuff, because it actually literally attacks the immune system that's supposed to protect you. Right. And stress is one of the big factors that actually affects your immune system. So, and I'm thinking of an instance when um, the social workers in the hospital and the counselors had a meeting with me, and like like I said, I I, I didn't think Cole was gonna die. I had so much faith. I I just made it, and he was gonna make it, right? Mm-hmm. But my life was such a chaos, chaotic. I would hardly have sleep. I work at night. I'm with him all day in the hospital. I did not even have time to be with Courtney at home. If I have to, because driving home to the hospital was an hour away anyways, I would sleep on the way driving. I have to start. I, 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 I usually walk with a bottle of water, mm-hmm. sleeping, and I'm pouring it on my head just so not to sleep, right? So I had this meeting with these social workers once, and they were like, when all of this is gone, what are you going to do with your life? Like, they were so scared that I would not be able to have, to know how to cope in the society again. Mm. because of how chaotic, like I was just used to chaos. My goodness. <laughs> I was just used to being in a, no, no, no downtime, being in a chaotic environment that it was like, I would, I never saw a day coming that I would just sit and smile. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, like I'm said. glad to see you smile. I, you know, in as much as I wish I could be there, have been there for you at that time, but unfortunately yeah. I didn't really know you back then, but uh-huh. I'm glad to share part of your happy years, you know, I mean, everything may not necessarily be a hundred percent, you know, it never is with us in life. There's always something uh-huh. that comes up, but I'm really glad that, you know, you overcame because that's something that could literally take a toll on anybody, talk less of a cancer patient. You know, so I really want to applaud you. And I also thank God for just keeping you through all the storms that you, you face. So what did you learn about yourself during this experience? That I was way stronger than I could ever, ever, ever imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That is extremely powerful. Yeah. I'm way stronger than I could imagine. And then to think of it. I always say this sometimes and people look at like, how would you say that? I think I'm the chosen one. Mm. Yeah. There's no way I could go through everything I went through and the way I went through it and came out the way I did if I wasn't yeah. the chosen one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you, I learned you know, that. 
your, your story and even what you just said, it just reminds me because on social media, you're always so jovial. You're always so, always <laughs> smiling and stuff, you know, and it's very easy for people to see certain things on social media and just come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Of course, misled conclusion. So right. it's like when you see somebody happy, you see somebody praising God or you see somebody just living their life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. Do not judge that person because you don't know what they've been through. Definitely. Right? Definitely. You don't know what That's they've been so through. True. You know, I mean, when yeah. I see you, I'm always happy for you. And I'm happy for anybody that lives their life because I aspire to be that way. I aspire to to really make the most out of life. Because one thing that COVID has really taught me specifically is that life can be cut short in any second. So like, yeah. I've, I mean, I'm, I've heard so many deaths from COVID that I am at the point of just being numb that every time I hear that someone dies, I sympathize uh-huh. with them and their family. But I also get that motivation to leave, like just leave because it could but be. That's you. one thing I said, and I still say it. I remember when I was sick and somebody would see me and say, wait, what are you waiting for? At least I always say no. You're acting like I'm dying, and you're feeling pity for me. Yeah, sorry for you. Yeah. No, don't don't show me pity because at least I always say, at least I know what is going on inside of me. Right. You just don't know what's going on inside of you. Right. There's so many people who've been sick and lived forever, mm-hmm. and other people who were strong and looking at it like where and they're dying and they're going and having accidents or you go out and you just fall down dead. Yeah. So I always said, you know what, just live your best life. Like it's your last. Yeah. And don't look at me like I'm dying. Like where treat me like you treat me any other day. It's true yeah. that I've been sick, but let's still go out and have fun and talk about the future yeah. or talk about what if we die today? Because yeah. that's one thing that most of us Africans, yeah, as a whole, we are shy of talking about death. Yes, that's very true. Yes, we are shy of talking about death, but you don't need to have cancer to die. Yeah. You don't even need to have COVID to fall down dead. That's true. Yeah, so I'm not saying don't don't help somebody or feel pity for somebody going through something or through cancer, but we all have to live our lives like tomorrow Today's could be the last. Life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because if you had asked me seven years ago, how on earth could I have ever thought that I could be somebody diagnosed with cancer or even my son? We don't have that in our families. Yeah, Never heard of something like that. So you just never know what happens tomorrow. So we yeah. really should all do our best, do our mammograms, do whatever we need to do to stay healthy and know our status. Like that's the main thing. Yeah. You know it. Yeah. That's true. So were there like support programs that kind of helped you and other patients as well, especially you who was going through like, you know, a double experience with cancer with you and your son um, that really supported you in terms of, you know, like just offering that emotional, mental support, um, you know, maybe programs established by the hospital um, and stuff like America that. America is a miracle it is a land when if you have not been there you might just never understand a land of really milk and honey Hmm. you know i remember one of my friends has had also said this when i was sick 
because I had all this benefits, meaning organizations will actually pay for your rent. Mm. They will actually, there were a lot of programs that had helped me, a lot of programs. And one of my friends had said, why did it glorify breast cancer patients that much? And I looked at her and I was like, yeah, like it's a whole big deal. Like it is giving a big you guys deal. all this. <laughs> and I looked at her and I, like, I tell you, if I tell you the things that I've, I heard people, people had actually told me, you'll be like, wow. That's wow. crazy. Yeah, it, it is. It is crazy. But then she, she's right. I thought about it and I said, you're right though. But it's for a reason. Right. Because there are people that understand that it's hard. Mm-hmm. to even think okay imagine you don't have cancer just thinking that you're gonna die the next minute is hard and have to go through that process makes it even even harder and that's why i pray god my whole wishes come through that's why we we do our best and i say we i mean my organization www.warrior.com we do our best to help as many people as we can in cameroon because now, what I what I do is we help people finance treatment. There's so many people that are going through cancer in Africa, in Cameroon in particular, who really just don't even have the money yeah. to pay for their treatment. Mm-hmm. And I don't publicize it a lot, meaning that will come with we don't have enough funds that like we're supposed to, mm-hmm. but at least we do what we can do. Right. Sometimes we do the look good, feel good program because, of course, you know, I'm all about looking good, good. most of the time. Yes. <laughs> we do our best to once in a while pop in and give um, our survivors and people going through treatment, say, massages. Yeah. And then have programs where they can do their makeup and just feel good someday and mm-hmm. have pictures. Yeah, I do offer those those things sometimes right. in, in Cameroon. And that does live up of their spirits. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it does, it does. Well, thank it you does. so much. I mean, we're going to briefly talk about your organization, Royal Warrior, right? We're mm-hmm. going to talk about that later. But, you know, like you said, so many programs that are being offered for breast cancer patients, and this goes especially to breast cancer patients or even cancer patients as a whole here in America, to go ahead yeah. and explore these programs and do research mm-hmm. and find out programs that could help you especially while going through one of the worst times in your life, especially. Now, you know, that also highlights the fact that for some of us in Africa, especially in the African countries where, I mean, I know most African countries probably don't have these resources to support cancer patients as a whole. You know, that's one of my dreams, hopefully, you know, to really come up with something that could support these patients, you know, because, uh, Cancer is a very tough disease. I have never had cancer before, but I have seen and I have learned about how tough uh, cancer could take a toll on people's bodies, especially with the treatments. And so I definitely think that if there's one thing to support cancer, cancer patients as a whole in our African countries is to give them that financial support and even give them mental or holistic services that for free, obviously, which will help them to, uh, you know, traverse the entire ordeal until they're 
they reach a stage where they can fend for themselves. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, I, I'm not sure how much of the information you can give with this next question, but it has to do with the chemotherapy, right? Because a lot of people, especially in the African communities, they have this ideology about chemotherapy, like, oh, it kills the good and bad cells and having chemotherapy will make me sicker instead of healing me or whatever. But you're a survivor because of chemotherapy, right? So I was just wondering if... Uh, you can say anything about that ideology or, you know, versus, let's say, an alkaline diet or Dr. C Sebi's diet and things like that. Do they also give you, like, dietary recommendations, you know, to follow through, you know, with the cancer chemotherapy? Or, like, what do you think in general of chemotherapy versus, like, that alkaline road? I am smiling because I remember when I was having treatment and a doctor had told me not to take chemo. Mm. He's from our African-based community mm. because chemo will actually cure you. He might be right. Chemo, people are still taking chemo and they die. But his whole concept was that God just pray mm. in God. Oh, wow. A yeah. doctor. Yeah. Interesting. So that's why I'm smiling. I've heard it all, right? My my whole thing is people have taken chemo and they've died. Mm -hmm. And most people have taken chemo and they've survived. I say that because my son took chemo and he died and I took chemo and I survived. Mm -hmm. But it's worth taking that chance while you pray. The other thing is I don't go out of anything to eat or have any diets. That's not from my doctor. I believe in natural things. Mm -hmm. natural remedies, which I've had so many proposals because I went through cancer. Anybody here of anything that they would say treats cancer, they call me first. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't believe in it, but I truly believe in modern medicine too. Mm -hmm. And this is why, like we said, breast cancer in particular has different kinds of breast cancer. So many different medications are out there, but they're not treating the same thing. You could be proposing me to be on this medication or high levels of vitamin C, which some people said works. And that's not what's treating my cancer. So I have to go with what my doctor recommends. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we should not take holistic things or medications. But for me as a person, I just don't go with that because I had her two positive breast cancer, mm -hmm. meaning I want to stay away from things that are high in estrogen. Mm -hmm. high in progesterone in hormones and there are very little things around the house that are very high in those things mm -hmm. it could be things that you think it's healthy but it's not say for instance soy soy is high in estrogen yes 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 so somebody will be like drink soy it's good it's gonna help your immune system but mm -hmm. it's not good for me so that's the thing with holistic medications they're good but when you look at the science behind it you could be doing more harm to yourself if you don't know what actually you're fighting against. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I always just tell anybody, if you want to take all the bitter leaves and all the, the things that they give you mm -hmm. or whatever, know what's in it. No, yeah. no, it, know what kind, what, what you're fighting. If you know the devil you're fighting, you know what kind of weapon to use. Right. Yes. That's the best way, way out. But for the alkalinity, I remember when I was going through uh, cancer, we'd actually bought something, a filter that they say would change the water to alkaline base and all mm -hmm. that. 
Well, maybe it works, maybe not, but I just go with what my doctor tells me and do a little more research. And I know if this is high in this and low in that, I'll take that. But I just want to eat everything in moderation. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Thank you so much. So um, what do you wish you knew before starting chemotherapy? There's so many things I wish I knew in life before now. <laughs> right. Before starting chemo, what did I wish I knew? No matter what I wish I knew, I would never have prepared me enough. Right. Never. Like some things you have to go through to understand. Even if I knew that my hair is going to fall off, it's not the same thing when my hair fell, fell off. It's not the same feeling when it actually did happen. There is nothing that I would have done differently. There's nothing that I maybe did that I shouldn't have done or did not do that I should have done. I think there's nothing I had, if I, if I knew before diagnosis, that would have changed anything now. But I learned a lot in the process. Right, I would imagine. Yeah, I did. I did. I learned a lot in the process. So when after the chemotherapy process or the treatment process, were you declared cancer-free? That's always a good question. Even the doctors, I don't think there's a particular day, right? But this is it. After treatment, after chemo, for me, I treatment goes depending on your treatment plan with your doctor. Some people would actually have a mastectomy first or lumpectomy, depending on whatever they are having. Surgery first, then have chemo, then have radiation. Oh, it's switched back and forth. So at the end of the day, it depends on the doctor when they're going to declare you free. For me, I did have chemo first, then surgery, and then I had gone through a lot of other treatment, like I said, hormonal treatments. Mm -hmm. But I think that was going to be the day after treatment and then after surgery, that is when I did another MRI a few weeks later and they were like, okay, we can't find anything anymore. Right. That's and, wonderful. I know you just mentioned, you know, the surgery and stuff, and you had said you had a double mastectomy, so both of your breasts were actually taken out. And I, I believe you had, like, a breast reconstructive surgery, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how does it feel? I've always been very uh, curious. How does it feel compared to, like, your boobs before? Is there, Do you feel any difference? My daughter asked me, like, a month ago, like, why did you have to do that? Why did you have to do a reconstruction? <laughs> right. It don't me like, why did I do it though? Uh, because it I would like, do it if I were you too. <laughs> it's you. It was a stressful, another stressful process in the whole case. Mm. I don't regret doing it, but now I'm thinking about it. Really? That should have been the list of my worries. I mean, it's, it's like a boob job, right? So it's not like any different. Oh, it? that's the thing. It's not just like a boob job. It's different. Huh. Imagine after surgery, I only have skin on my chest, right? Hmm. They had to actually fit an empty bag inside the skin. Mm -hmm. Every week, I have to go and they would have to inject a couple of cc's of fluids. Now it's pushing on my skin. Mm. Every my skin has to expand. That's causing you a lot of back pain. Yeah. Pain you already had surgery. Mm. It's it's not just a book job. 
Mm-hmm. Like, anyway, you're good to do a book job. It's in and out. It's not like that with, with construction, reconstruction after mastectomy. It's way different. It's a whole process that takes a year to go through. Wow. Yeah, that, 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 that's just an additional appointment <laughs> to the already multiple appointments you have at the doctors. Yes. That's what I would imagine. But, yeah. I mean, at some point, I mean, this is like seven years after. At some point, you know, our skin is elastic, right? So I, I believe that's why they, don't, they didn't want to, like, cause trauma to your skin by just putting that stretch, that intense stretch all at once. I'm sure that's why they wanted you to come so that when they put a little bit, your skin stretches a little bit, yeah. then they add it yeah. and add it to the required size or to your desired size. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, 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 w- I, w- I would imagine that, you know, eventually you don't feel that pain anymore because your skin adjusts like the elasticity kind of, uh, you know, acclimates to the size of your breast and then you don't feel that pain anymore. Am I correct? Yeah, no, like now I don't feel any pain anymore. And yes, even like during the one week process to go back or one or two weeks to go back to add the, the fluids, of course, they're expecting the pain to have reduced right. before they inflict another pain. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so of course, then you go through the process again. What right. I'm saying is it's, it's just, it's a whole process and it, it can never feel like the real ones, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've i never said this on social media, but I'll say it. You know what? Let me not say it. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Please do. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> no, no. Talking about breast reconstruction, I remember... I will never forget. This is, one, this is one of the things that I just will never forget. My ex-husband had told me he can't deal with, he's finding it difficult and can just not deal with a woman who doesn't have, have real breasts. Hmm. That is just one of those things I'll never forget. Right, right. right. And that could take a toll yeah. on, on your self-esteem too. Thank God he never did. Oh, nice. Yeah. That, I mean, I would I, imagine you were going through too, way too much anyways to even think of self-esteem <laughs> at that point, right? You were thinking more yeah, of survival. But, but that, that, that actually would confirm to me so many things. Like if you can't deal with it, it's okay. You mm. can't deal with it, right? And those are things that would make me actually sleep at peace at night. Yeah, things like that actually make me sleep at peace, you know, with so much peace at night. But what I'm saying is that, yeah, it can never be the same. So many people, so many of my friends, they'll be like, can I touch it? Can I feel it? They actually do ask me that. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to be a museum and you're just going to Yeah, I'll just make fun. Like flashing your boobs. That. Like, hey, here you go. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not, not that it's hard or anything, but if you have ever felt silicon, it's all silicon, right, on yeah. their skin. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. just going to be soft like silicon. And you know, some people actually go through that and it bursts. Oh. Yeah. And then you have to do it all over oh. again. If you want, or you just take it off and don't go through that strap. But but your skin <laughs> is going to be like flapping, right? Because your skin has already stretched out so much. It's okay. When you had real boobs, they took it off, right? Well, 
I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so this is gonna be very easy for those doctors. They right? just cut the skin and then you go home. Right. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. so much actually for sharing that because a lot of women. These are questions that people always ask at the back of their minds, but nobody has really had that audacity to like step up and ask a survivor or mm-hmm. a cancer patient like how how does that. You know, how does that happen? You know, and I'm glad I asked. Too many people look at me and they're like, wait, you said you did a double mastectomy? They ask other people. Then I'm Right, just like, and me. how do you have boobs if you did it, yes. if you cut all so your boobs, right? Right. Like, just ask me. Right, right. <laughs> so many people right. are just feeling uncomfortable asking me. Yeah. Well, they don't want to ask something that's going to hurt me. Yeah. So they want to ask somebody who's close to me. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully they wouldn't even have to ask you to begin with because they're going to hear it from here, hopefully. Yeah. You know, so since you were told that you don't have cancer anymore, how has your life changed? Have you changed your, you know, how has your quality of life changed? Have you had any kind of like lifestyle changes, what you can do, what you cannot do, or life has just gone back to normal? I think after all the kids, now I'm saying I'm living my best life ever. Nice. I am. Not saying that I'm not living in fear, but I try not to. I'm living my best life every day. That's because I'm scared. Hmm. I think so. If I want to look at it that way. I'm just living the best life because I know that, okay, that is something that can hit you anytime. Me especially. I could not die, but I could, God forbid, go through the process again. Hmm. Yeah, so it has definitely changed my perspective. Thank you for that. So are you taking any like maintenance medications or are you just not on anything? Or do you have to go th- to checkups every now and then? Like what other extracurricular things do you have to do to maintain that di- that prognosis or at least to maintain that cancer-free declaration? I have been on medication since the day I started that chemotherapy. Hmm. And I just don't know why I'm going to stop taking medication to stay healthy, right? Having her two positive breast cancer is the only cancer I can talk about because that is what I know firsthand. I have to be on hormonal treatments. This is because medication, maintenance medications that have been made for breast cancer treatment was designed for women of menopausal age yeah that is because they believe that women of menopausal age are the ones highest risk gonna have cancer yeah. right cancer, unfortunately yeah. today that's not the case and i still wonder why they haven't come up with better medications that will accommodate people like me who are not of menopausal age so coming back to my treatment for somebody with her two positive breast cancers who is not yet in her menopausal age would have to be on medications that would put you in that age group hormonally, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, for medications to work. All right. I'm taking medications to, I'm looking for the right words, <laughs> mm-hmm. to maintain or prevent a, a relapse. Yeah. To maintain a cancer-free body or to prevent a relapse, although so many people are still on the medications and still get relapsed, mm-hmm. but at least science is trying, they can only try. But for me to be on that medication, I also have to be on medications that would 
put me in a menopausal state. So I, I asked my doctor once and I said, so for how long would this be? Because when I started this medication, they always say 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Say tamoxifen or Lupron or whatever you're on. It's going to be 10 years. And I, 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 was, I was 27 then and I'll be like, even in 10 years, I'm still not going to be in the menopausal circle. What mm-hmm. then? So it's just a, an ongoing process. Get yeah. there, then you handle it. For me, right. I just live every day as it comes. Right. But are there yeah, also so. some women who have actually been through chemo who can still have kids? I know that the chemotherapy can also attack, you know, the productive cycle, the reproductive cycle uh, or system as a whole. Mm-hmm. So are there still some women who did not like harvest their eggs but can still have children post-chemotherapy or is it advised against? A lot of women do have kids post-treatment and a lot of women don't. Right. Again, it depends too highly on the kind of chemotherapy you had. Some of them would really, really damage your ovaries and some may not do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. One thing science also have come about with, even if you don't have this, your eggs, they do have medication, which is something I did take that you can take before. That's what I did before starting treatment. But you have to take that every month. Mm. Is I did take gosselarin. If you do your pharmacist, maybe you've come across mm-hmm. it or maybe not. Mm-hmm. It's a needle. The injection is as big as rice. Mm-hmm. The grain of rice they have to implant every month. That is to prevent your ovaries mm-hmm. from, from chemo. So there are a lot of other options out there. Right. You're just preventing your ovaries. No doctor would ever assure you that, yeah, take this chemo. You're going to have kids later. Mm-hmm. So to be on the safe side, they always just ask you, have those eggs. I would tell anybody, though, who still plans on having kids before having um, chemo too, have those eggs and just save them. Right, right. <laughs> and them. so talking about life, especially after chemo, right, or after cancer, has your history of a cancer diagnosis has that kind of affected your dating life? Luckily, no. Awesome. So basically, if you like someone and, you know, the person knows that you had that history of cancer, it has not, like, hindered them from or from shying away from, you know, being with you for fear that, hey, what if she has it again or stuff like that? On the contrary. <laughs> Nice. I I am an open book when it comes to my house. Mm-hmm. You don't even need to ask me. You if you just go on social media, you know that okay, right. this is what happened, right? right? It's not something that I could ever hide it. Mm-hmm. I have videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. If you just Google my name, like I hate that it could be my identity, but that is what it is. Right. So. Before I even get to date somebody, most times I must have had chats with them and they want to know my life or know about theirs. And I I always want to tell you firsthand, this is what it is and this is who I am. Yeah, very important. Yes, it's either we are taking it from here and knowing that this is what it is. Oh, let's not even start this. Right, right. So it's always been like that and I've not had a problem with that. Right. I'm so glad to know that. So glad to know that. Now, um, let's basically just quickly talk about your organization and the cause that you're passionate about, which obviously is breast cancer, empowering breast cancer women. Can you talk to us um, a bit more about Royal Warrior 
Yes. And just to correct you a little bit, we're trying, I am trying my best not to impact just breast, breast cancer. cancer. Okay. We're trying to help cancer in general. Oh, okay. That's because I have been touched in other in ways. With way. Yeah. What hit me most is brain cancer, it's my breast cancer. Okay. Yeah. That's what hit me the most. Mm-hmm. As much as I have a personal experience with breast cancer, we want to help everybody and their families going through through cancer. Awesome. And life after cancer is also not a joke. Not easy, yes. Sometimes it, it feels better when you're having treatment than after treatment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. So how can the listeners reach out to you to support your cause? or just to get mentorship advice, or to get your services, or just to ask questions? We have a website, which is www.royalwarrior.org. You could also visit our page on Facebook. You could contact me personally on Facebook. Mm-hmm. At what? Royal Warrior. Oh, Royal Warrior. <laughs> Royal Warrior, yes. And also on Instagram, we do have a page at um, Royal Warrior. So we have a lot of platforms that you could reach reach us through. Yeah, but going through the website is the most accurate. Yeah, and I will have that added to our show notes, right? So I have two last questions for you. Now, what will you advise men and women in our African community going through the ordeal with cancer? Like I said before, if you know the devil you're fighting, you know what weapons to use. Mm. Most of the time, we are not that much educated about what we really have. So know know what you're fighting. Yeah. Yeah, know what you're fighting. Know what you don't want to face. Like if if you're going to have a mammogram, that's because you don't want to have cancer or you want to catch it when Mm -hmm. it's early. So you know what you don't want to have. So do that. Do all the checkups you're required to do. Or I always say, take your your health in your own hands. Be aggressive about it. Yeah. Most medical professionals, they're not aggressive. I was aggressive with my health unknowingly. Mm-hmm. I, I kept going. I kept being aggressive in a, in a cool way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> always. But be aggressive before going to the doctor. Know what you want. That's what I said. The doctor's going to give you an advice. Before I go to see a doctor, I tell him my mom, know that your blood pressure is high. Know that you're on 25 milligrams of metropol. I want to be on 50. Can yeah. I be on 50? Right. Yes. Because sometimes even the doctors in America, they would just be negligent. They can be negligent. But if you know what you want, I remember when I met my son's oncologist, maybe because I had gone through it before, he didn't know me, I didn't know him, but because of the questions and the things I wanted, he had to take time and stop and like, what do you do for a living? I didn't realize I was asking him the questions I was and telling him what I want, but he had picked it up because I knew what I wanted. So I told him, I'm a nurse. It didn't dawn on me and he said, oh, no wonder. (laughs) So I tell everybody, be aggressive with your health. Know, know what you want before even seeing your doctor. Tell them what you want. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for that. And um, the sec- the last question I had for you as well is, 
based on your experience, especially with the support system you had, the support services that were offered you, what will you advise the caretakers of cancer patients in our community as well as just the community as a whole uh, when it comes to being more accommodating and sensitive towards cancer patients? When we talk of caretakers, it's a very vast yeah. a place, right? It could be the caretakers from the hospital, caretakers which most of the time... Family, friends. Family and friends. When we talk about family and friends, those are the people we have expectations from. Yes. We don't have too much expectations from people at the hospital. They're just doing their job. Their job and we yeah. know they're getting paid for that, right? <laughs> And, and yeah, and they're getting paid. Sometimes they'll just not do what they're supposed to do. But when it comes to family and friends, if you have somebody who is sick, keep your own emotions aside. We're born to be selfish. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And we're but emotional consider, beings as well. But we have to yeah, learn how to. Yeah, consider what that person is going through. It doesn't matter how you feel about them, it could be you. Mm-hmm. Even like, just treat people the way you want to be treated. Again, if you don't know how, ask for help. Ask somebody who has been through that route, who has made it or not made it. Ask mm-hmm. them, how did you help this person when they were going through this? I don't know how. Or you tell the person who was sick, if you're a caretaker, hey, Anya, I don't know how to help you. How can I help you? Honestly, if somebody tells me that, it already tells me how much you care. Right. Don't tell me... Like, don't worry. That's it, go, go. Right, right. You're not helping. How are you helping? Right. Maybe that's how we know. That's all people know. That's all they know what to, how to say. Right, right. Yeah. But just think, I really don't know how to help you. How can I help you? Yeah, that's How can I true. make you feel better today? Yeah. Because I really cannot take this away from you. Right. But I want to help. Yeah. And, you know, that yeah. goes to also... Um, you know, address the whole aspect of us using loose words in our community. Sometimes we don't even notice, you know, we, we tend to get so dismissive about things that happen in our surrounding and with people in our lives that we don't even notice. Like for us or for some people to them, it's like, they're consoling you like, Oh yeah, don't worry. But no, this is such a big deal. Like I'm going to worry. Like there's an elephant in this room. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that. I mean, I I say this all the time. Like we have to be very sensitive with the way we speak to one another, especially Mm -hmm. when we're going through stuff because, um, loose words like that could literally go a long way. You know, those are things that people may not even forget they may never forget that this person told me this you know and you never know how those words could get to someone and affect them so we have to always make sure if you don't know ask and you know the human nature is we're used to giving love the way we would like to receive it right but we don't really consider how the other person will like to receive their love you know Uh so it's like what you know is what you give so asking those necessary questions like how may i help you you know because you basically helping someone the way you think is best for that person may not necessarily be best for that person sure. you sure. know so it's very important to always ask like is there any is there anything i can do for you to help you so that mm-hmm. they can tell you how to love on them and you would actually make a true impact while doing that you know yeah yeah so i just want to thank you so much for sharing your story i always leave empowered every time i speak to you than i came 
And mm-hmm. I hope that is the same for our audience as well. I know we're going to have so many more episodes with you talking about cancer and everything else. And I so look forward to that those conversations because I feel like your story needs to be in a book. <laughs> you better be writing that book. I know you spoke about <laughs> it before, but you have been through so much and you're not even like in you, you haven't you, you you're not even I mean, you're so young, you know, you are so young and you have been through, I mean, your life story. I don't even think my parents have gone through that, you know, I mean, everybody handles their issues differently, you know, and you showed so much grace in the midst of the storm. You know, you lost a child, you almost lost your life. You lost your marriage. You, I mean, like name it, you've been through it, but you're still standing strong and that's why you're a royal warrior. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story and i hope that the conversation does not end here i hope that you know this conversation spark other heart conversations in our communities for us to open up to one another be vulnerable and talk about things that we will not normally talk about otherwise talk about the stories that will really sensitize us to certain diseases especially non-communicable diseases in our community which i will really be talking a lot about because this is silent diseases that you know, they creep up on your body. You may not feel sick. You may not have a headache. Where in Africa, we are used to having the infectious diseases in the African commu- in African countries, right? We're used to having malaria, typhoid, cholera, um, headaches, fevers, things that you can feel. But hypertension, cancer, cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, these are things that you can't feel. They don't communicate with you. You don't feel a headache. You don't feel, I mean, if you start having symptoms with these diseases, that's when it's actually too late. So these are things that we have to be sensitive about. So I just want to thank you for sharing that story. And here's to many more stories that we're going to be talking about. And I thank you for coming once more. It was so great speaking with you. Same here. Thank you. I am humbled and pleased. I know. <laughs> and willing to to help in any way I can. Sure. It's my pleasure. And I applaud you for all the work that you're doing using your own platform. And let me know how I can help in any way. But until then, I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Living African it for today thank you for listening to our show if you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com also don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at living african podcast you can also connect with anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.